Welcome to the Weekly Experience Podcast, covering Surrey and Hampshire with your presenters, Neil Braybrook-Tidy and Jenny Thornton. The show that brings you all the facts about your local area and is always guaranteed to put a smile on your face. So sit back and enjoy the Weekly Experience Podcast that goes from 0 to 60 in 60 seconds. So my guest today is Andrew Siegel, author. Hello, Andrew. Hello, good morning. So how are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Excellent. So tell me, uh, how long have you been writing? As a hobby for 30 odd years. And what gave you the inspiration? I had an idea for a short story about a timid man and his cat. I decided later on to call it Cat and Mouse, which is perfect. So 30 years ago, I wrote the short story. It went down a storm. I joined a writer's group and I've been writing short stories and novels ever since. More recently, I'm being published as well. So how many have you wrote, do you think, in your time? Well, how many short stories? Mm-hmm. 40, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still get ideas now. Uh, the books, well, The Hamilton Conspiracy, The Lime Reader's Murders, The Black Candle Killings, uh, and I'm working on The Politician's Wife, with all due respect to her, <laughs> at the moment. Mm-hmm. So what gives you inspiration for writing these books? Uh, anything and everything in life. I can be walking down the street and see something, and think, no, there's an idea there. Uh, I mentioned to Jenny a little earlier about a contract killer incident, uh, which gave rise to a short story. Or, so you or, must, or, you know, during the lockdown, you must have had plenty of time to think about things. Uh, has anything come to mind during the lockdown? Well, things come to mind all the time, but I'm a full-time professional. This is only a hobby. Um, so, uh, yes, uh, every spare moment. I think it was Roald Dahl that said, if you got a, an idea and didn't write it down immediately, it was gone. The ideas are almost like little gifts. So when I get an idea... I make a note of it as well. If I don't, it's gone. It's I think we all love books in our time. You know, I remember as a child sitting there with mum and dad and them reading me the Mr. Man books with oh, Roger yes. Hargreaves sure. and stuff. Yep. You know, I know he's still, you know, uh, those books are still being published to this are. day, aren't they? Very much so. Yeah, and Very uh, successful. Yeah, so successful. And then the spin off of uh, the Miss characters as well. That's right. Absolutely brilliant. And uh, what do I remember as a kid as well? So I had the Mr. Men books, and then when I was a little bit older, Edith Blyton, the, uh, yeah. the Fam- Secret Famous Seven, five. the Famous sure. Five, Absolutely. and all those kind of things. That's right. So, what book have you got for us, and which story are you going to tell us today? Today's story is called Sleight of Hand. Mm-hmm. And it's based on an incident that I've dramatised, made into my own story. Right. Um, we all know circuses, we all know magicians, uh, we all know that things can sometimes go wrong. Mm-hmm. Sleight of Hand is a story along those lines. Okay, right. Or away you go. Sleight of Hand. She was in love with him, but either he didn't know it or else he didn't care. He was simply unreadable. Now, something was terribly wrong. They'd enacted the illusion perfectly dozens of times before. She would float horizontally, ten feet above the stage, leaving the audience mystified but hugely entertained. Giant mirrors behind her revealed neither ropes nor pulleys. Somehow it seemed she really was floating. But this evening, without warning, the magician, Renzo, had taken her up to all of twenty feet. Breathtaking, but somewhat alarming. She was tall with a plaited ponytail, the red lipstick, black mesh stockings and gold lame costume adding more than just a touch of glamour to the performance. The girl was supposedly hypnotised but looked agitated. That much was clear, even from the back of the theatre, an elegant Victorian building on Shaftesbury Avenue. The levitation, an old trick given a novel twist by Renzo, 
saw his assistant gracefully twist until she faced the audience vertically, eyes closed, supplicant palms stretched forward to a recording of Benny Goodman's Poor Butterfly. Sparkling gossamer wings would emerge, fluttering as though to keep the girl afloat. Their grand finale, it invariably brought the audience to its feet, but tonight she undoubtedly was not hypnotised. Wide-eyed, she seemed to be casting about for something off stage, her arms flailing, mouth agape in a silent monk scream. The theatre became quiet, expectant. Seconds elapsed. There were whisperings, while the magician continued busy, unconcerned. Clearly, Renzo's intention was to frighten, even to terrify his audience. Wasn't that what they all wanted? His assistant couldn't be in trouble after all, could she? The atmosphere subtly altered. People began relaxing now while the illusionist bustled around. Gentlemen in the crowd, knowledgeably reassured, nervous wives and girlfriends that it was just an act. They'd known it all along. A remark overheard. Of course, the international magician, Harry, who did... Then she dropped like a stone, the girl. A muffled thud as she hit the stage floor. Someone screamed, an agonised wail. Ruby! They met two years previously at the local gym. Ruby Clement and Renzo Canivare, both of them lofty. They had little in common apart from shared initials and strict exercise regimes. They got chatting after he'd commented on her level of fitness. She was fair, beautiful and 19. Sadly, too tall to be a ballet dancer. She was now personal assistant to the head of an advertising agency. A bashful girl she'd had few serious relationships. He was dark, glamorous and 32. Born into an Italian circus family, he'd been the catcher in a trapeze act. But he'd wanted his independence and, having watched a visiting escapologist, realised he could do better. He was now an illusionist who devised his own wizardry, a mix of old and new. He'd had innumerable relationships, but curiously seemed untrusting of women. He'd been let down in love just once, badly. She contemptuously dismissed his invitation to a Valentine's evening dinner. He'd sworn never to show weakness again. No one wants a commitment these days. I was an utter dope, he confessed, embarrassed. Declaring your love doesn't make you a dope, she'd counted. It was a lovely gesture, but he'd nodded disinterestedly. They met occasionally for a drink, a meal, an amicable relationship without obligation or passion. He could be unpredictable, remote, told her candidly she needed to be more self-assertive, something he admired in a woman. But then, building an international following was what generally occupied his mind. He travelled extensively, the continent, America, Russia, also working the UK's towns and provincial theatres, yet Ruby recognised a growing attachment to him of which Renzo was supremely unaware, an attachment that her close friend Margot Jennings warned her would not be reciprocated. You'll never settle down, Ruby dear. Lone wolves don't want ties. Can't see him doing a 2am bottle feed, can you? Ruby shrugged. You need a big nudge. Might be worth a try. You have to be subtle, yeah. So one day, while chatting over a drink in the bar of the gym, Ruby surprised herself. Wouldn't your performance benefit by having an exotic assistant? Could this work, she wondered. Did you have anyone in mind? Intrigued, 
He seemed to be giving it some thought as he drank from his glass of mango juice. Why me, of course. His dark eyebrows rose in astonishment. You'd give up your job? I might, if you made it worth my while. <laughs> Money, is it? No. She waited a beat. I want you to teach me what you do. Really? You want to, to be a magician? I thought you loved your job. She added, You could sometimes let me take the lead. You be my assistant. Well, now, he pondered. Here's a thought. When faced with a problem, he'd cup his chin in his palm, purse his beautiful lips and wrinkle his nose. He had no idea she was falling in love with him. So Ruby started assisting Renzo while he gradually began accepting some of her ideas, the public loving it when they changed roles. Finally, switching jobs, she worked with him full-time. She ached for him, but too reticent to show it, he remained for her ever remote. Was there really no way to get closer to him? She wondered. But then, recalling Margot's comment, hadn't she made that first move already? He paid for a private room, of course. Both her ankles were in plaster, and she was even paler than usual. Renzo, pacing restlessly, looked drawn. They couldn't have checked the support webbing properly. Unforgivable. Margot called in later, when Renzo had left for the evening. Are you okay, Ruby? You might have been killed. He didn't say he'd go up to twenty feet, Margie. I reckoned on the usual ten. What? Margot looked aghast. What are you talking about, Ruby? I've been learning his tricks, darling. You see, it wasn't his fault I fell. It was mine. Your fault? However, remembering your advice about giving him a nudge, I unpicked the levitation support webbing before we went on. What a job. I've only got small hands. Thought I'd only get a nasty bump at ten feet. Some sympathy and a bit of TLC, but twenty? Pity. I've been plucking up courage to ask him to dinner with me this weekend. Valentine's Day. Right. Afraid I've rather blown it, haven't I? He likes confident women. Air, Margot sounded doubtful. Renzo visited again the next day. He looked annoyed. Ruby's heart sank. Margot told me, he said. How could you have been so foolish? How could I have been so blind? Placing an envelope on her bed, Ruby realized she was being given notice. Close to tears, she thought. So much for subtlety. Open it, he ordered. Her fingers shaking, she slit the flap, extracting a folded card with a big V on the front. Inside, in Renzo's beautiful hand, the conjurer is a dope you'd find in any dive, a clumsy pro who would hardly know a foxtrot from a jive. <laughs> Was that it, then? All a joke? She'd so wanted to invite, <clears throat> yet still heart-pounding, palms perspiring. Ruby gazed up at Renzo, now or never, but oh, so timidly. Would you... Would you come to dinner with me, when I'm able? She stammered. An endless pause. Well, now, a frown. His mood still unreadable. Better if she'd said nothing. Never was much chance anyway, and Renzo, looking strained, that fathomless expression of his truth, he asked. Please. Ruby closed her eyes and held her breath. You really want to know? I really want to know, she whispered. Okay, then, he answered, smiling at last. Of course I will, adding. I thought you'd never ask. Lots of different twists to that story, I think. Quite a few. Um, 
Where did you come up with the idea? Were you sitting in a theatre something? No, but I know somebody that had just that accident with, a, with, a, with right. an illusionist. So the rest of it's a drama, my drama. Ah, but, uh, and the ankles were broken as well. And their act came to an end, as it happens. That was the end of it. Oh. And she was beautiful. And he was a brilliant magician, conjurer, whatever. But uh, that finished their act, but started my short story. It's, it's incredible how you just consider... How long did that take you to write that story? They all vary. The books take usually around a year. Mm-hmm. A short story, the quickest, I think, was when my wife was in hospital. I was in the waiting room and I scribbled it longhand. That was a couple of hours. But a short story can take... Okay, well, when I first wrote a short story called Hand of Pork, mm-hmm. that, goes, that goes back more than 20 years, I submitted that to the London magazine. Alan Ross was the editor, very well thought of journalist, editor, poet, and you'd get stories back from him literally within days. Mm-hmm. Some of the, some editors took months, and he'd scribble his comments across it. So I sent him one short story, too long, another one too short. Finally, I sent a, story, a, sh- a short story called Hand of Pork, which is going to be in the next book, and it's a 20-year-old short story, and knew it had the wrong ending. And he said, he scribbled across it, impressive as far as it goes, but leaves the reader wanting more. I thought, yeah, he's right. It's got hasn't got the right ending. So when you get that, I, I changed the ending. Oh, I was going to say about, that. Did you change the ending? About, yeah, about six months ago. I thought, I've got the right ending now, and I knew it worked. I'll, I'll give you a simple example. If you're doing a cryptic crossword, you know when you've got the right answer. For example, a guy with a high IQ said, "Can you work out the answer to this crossword puzzle clue?" And the clue was simply W O R L. Can you work that out? Well, I couldn't work it. That's a three-word answer. The answer to W O-R-L. A crossword clue is world without end. Brilliant. Uh, when you've got the D, you've got the... And it's the same with a short story. Mm. You know when it works. And when I changed the ending of Hand of Pork, I knew I had a story that worked. So how do you know in your mind that you've got a successful story, would you say? It's, it may be successful to me, but then I've got to wait and see what my readers think. That's mm. the most important thing. If they don't like it, then it's a flop. Uh, Touch with so far, I've had ma- mainly successes with the short stories anyway. Absolutely fantastic. Thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate your time. That's Andrew Siegel, uh, an author today, and uh, on our weekly podcast here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Weekly Experience. For more episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. And remember to subscribe to stay fully up to date. So look out for our next podcast and do check our new website, buzzpodcasts.co.uk. 